Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you for your kindness towards us. For your grace. For the fact that even in our weakness and even as we go astray, you are gracious and kind. Lord, draw us to yourself this morning. Shine your light into the recesses of our hearts and souls. And Lord, give us a strength to root out those things that we need to root out. Amen. I found myself wondering this week what would happen if I preached at you like James. Listen to verses 1 through 4 of chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among, among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Or listen to him later in verses 8 and 9. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is addressed to the church. It's not addressed to the pagan world. It seems a little bit over the top. You would be forgiven for thinking that James is actually a little bit disconnected from reality. After all, is anyone in the church actually murdering one another? Isn't it a bit much to call everyone adulterers? Do we really have to be wretched and mourn and weep? I thought we were supposed to be joyful, joyful in the Lord. Like I said, I found myself wondering this week what happened, what would happen if I preached at you like this, sinners be wretched, mourn, cleanse your hands, you double-minded. It's tempting to write passages like this off to a rhetorical t technique, one that's technically called holy exaggeration. That's not a technical category, by the way. It's tempting, though, to write this category, this sort of language off and just say, James is just exaggerating. He's exaggerating to make a point. He's concerned with jealousy, with self-centeredness, with worldly ambitions in the church, with people pursuing illicit pleasures. He's concerned with these things, and so he comes in, guns blazing, exaggerating to show people how big a deal their sin is. Adultery, murder, you're an enemy of God. It's tempting to think that he's just exaggerating. The problem with exaggeration, we all know, is that when someone exaggerates, we stop listening to them. They lose credibility. And if James is just exaggerating, there's that danger that somebody who gets called murderer who's never murdered anyone stops paying attention. I've not read a single commentary on James 3 and 4 that actually thinks that there was murder going on in the church. And I actually don't think that James is exaggerating here. I think that there's a deeper and richer explanation below this passage, and I want to step down into it with you. Let me explain. 
I planted our fall garden a few weeks ago. The seeds have sprouted. There's these beautiful little green plants and these beautiful little rows. I thought they were all going to be gone after the rain the other night, but they survived. The problem, though, was that when I turned over the soil to plant this fall garden, it gave all those dormant weed seeds a chance to germinate. And so not only do I have all these beautiful little rows of arugula and kale and spinach, I have all these other little bitty green plants alongside them and mixed with them. And at half an inch tall, it's actually fairly difficult to tell what's what. They all look pretty much the same when they're this big. As the plants get bigger, it'll be obvious which ones are kale and which ones are weeds. But the problem is, is that if I let them get bigger, the roots get intertwined. And pulling out the weed can cause damage to the plant. In other words, I need to weed now. But in order to do so, I need to be able to tell the difference between the good and the bad plants. If I can expand this botanical analogy, there's some weeds that are even pernicious. Now, I don't have these ones in my garden, but imagine kudzu or poison ivy. It's when they're little, when it's just one little thing, it's pretty easy to pull it out. But if they get a fully developed taproot down into your lawn, good luck getting rid of that kudzu. Good luck getting rid of that poison ivy. Again, it's when they're little that the weeds need to be pulled out before they get dangerous. My point is twofold. There's some weeds that are hard to recognize when they're little. And there's some weeds that don't seem like that big a deal when there's only a tiny bit of them like kudzu. But when they take over, or if you don't do the weeding when they're young, you'll have a problem on your hands. James is helping us weed. He's describing the plants for us so that we act now. He's actually comparing two plants and he calls them both wisdom. Don't be fooled by the fact that he calls them both wisdom because one is deadly while the other is beautiful and good. Maybe we can stretch our botanical analogy a little further and say it's like mushrooms. On the one hand, you have portobello, and on the other hand, you have the death cap that kills 50% of the adults that eat it. Don't be fooled by the fact that he calls them both wisdom. He's comparing two plants for us so that we can weed. Look at verse 13 where we began. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. In other words, God's wisdom, the good wisdom, that wisdom shows up in good conduct, and the people who have it have healthy and beautiful patterns of life. It produces good deeds. It's humble. It's meek. But he turns in verse 14 to the other deadly wisdom. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boast and be false to the truth. Earthly wisdom is characterized by self-centeredness. The desire to get things for oneself, to advance oneself, to place oneself in front of others. In case we think that a little bit of me first isn't that bad. It's normal after all. Everybody has to put themselves first. In case we think it's not that bad, in verse 15, he calls that self-centeredness demonic. He's telling us up front, this is a wicked plant. If we think it's natural to put myself first, I just can't help it. He says in verse 16, 
that this me first, this self-centeredness, causes chaos and disorder. In other words, it wrecks families and churches and nations. He goes on to say it produces every vile practice. This self-centeredness, this jealousy, this ambition ruins lives. In verse 17, he shifts back to the good plant, godly wisdom, and he says that it's pure. It's got no stain or sin or corruption in it. It's honest and clean. He says that it's peaceful and gentle. It doesn't yell and fight at others. It doesn't cause anger and hostility. He says that it's reasonable. It speaks truth to people, but it's also willing to listen to the truth, to be corrected, to be persuaded. It doesn't need to win every argument. He says it's full of mercy. It's full of good fruit. It shows kindness and compassion to others. It serves. And he says that it's impartial and sincere. This plant, this good wisdom, it's not biased. It's not judgmental. It's not two-faced. It's genuine. It's full of integrity. What you see is what you get. The outside is the same as the inside. And at the end of this description, he says that this plant only gets planted in peace. This good plant only gets cultivated by people who make peace. It overflows with peace, and it produces a harvest of righteousness. Thus far, he's been a good botanist. He's described the characteristics of these two plants for us. And hearing his description, if you're listening, is probably enough for most of us to say, I've got a fair amount of the wisdom of the world within me. If we listen to his description, most of us would be, have to acknowledge that I lack purity in places, or I lack mercy with certain people, or I lack reasonableness. I have to win the arguments, and I don't listen to others. Most of us would have to say, after hearing his description, I am pretty focused on myself. I don't make peace everywhere I go. Most of us would have to acknowledge that we've got a little bit of that weed, in other words, within us. So James keeps going. In chapter 4, he takes us out into the field like a good botanist in the classroom. He's described the characteristics of these two plants, but now he takes us out in the field and he says, come look at this forest that's been destroyed by kudzu. Come look at this place where every other plant has been put to death because this one wasn't rooted out. He lets us see these plants in maturity when they are full grown. He says that little bit of self-centeredness that you justify, that little bit of self-centeredness that you're okay with, that little bit of jealousy that you allow to remain in your heart, that little bit of I want this sinful pleasure for myself, that little bit of bitterness towards the person who seems to have it better than you, come look what it looks like when it's full grown. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4, he says when it's full grown, it looks like open warfare. Fists raised, voices screaming, people hitting each other, even to the point of murder. That little plant that's inside you, full grown, looks like open warfare. Murder. A family, a nation, a church screaming at each other, fighting with each other. This is what this plant looks like. And his point is that it's the same plant. This is what I meant when I said he's not exaggerating. He's just letting us see what this plant looks like in its maturity. Jesus, by the way, did the same thing when he said that murder is the same plant 
is hatred and cruelty towards your brother. He's letting us see the kudzu overwhelming the forest and destroying it. That self-centeredness, when it grows to fruition, this is what it looks like. In verse 3 through 4, he says not only does it destroy relationships between people, fighting, hurling curses, hitting, not only does it destroy relationships between people, it destroys relationships with God. When it's full grown, it looks like God refusing to give you what you ask for, fractures in your relationship with God, fractures because that self-centeredness has grown and it's become something evil and wicked. It looks like, and this is verse 4, being an enemy of God. This is what that plant looks like, full grown. Becoming arrogant, resistant, unfaithful to God, cozied up to the world and the devil. James's tactic is to describe the plant in maturity so that we can see how deadly it is. It's not an exaggeration. The point is we think that this little thing that's in me is no big deal because it's not born the fruit, but his point is that little plant that you nurture and harbor in your heart, if it were to grow, this is what it would look like. His point is do your weeding now. Do your weeding now when that plant is little. It's difficult for most of us to believe that self-centeredness is actually this big of a deal. Because if you were to sum up earthly wisdom, what he describes is basically just self-centeredness, jealousy, ambition, bitterness. It's basically just, I come first. It's difficult for us to believe that that really is that big of a deal. We probably all recognize that we've got it in our hearts. I can't be the only one who actually struggles with jealousy. We probably all know, I'm, I can't be the only one who actually feels bitter towards people when I feel like they get what I deserved. We've got this in our hearts. I'm likely not alone in feeling frustration when someone disrupts the day that I wanted for myself and being angry at them. It's a form of self-centeredness. We all have this plant growing in the soil of our heart, but we don't think that it's that harmful. We don't think that it's that big a deal. James won't let us be deceived, though. He speaks truth to us. He says to you, that little bit of self-centeredness, that little bit of jealousy, that little bit of selfish ambition, that little bit of bitterness towards others, that's the same plant that produces murder. It's the same plant that produces adultery. It's a plant that destroys relationships between people. It's a plant that destroys relationships with God. The world justifies it. The world sometimes even calls it wisdom. It calls it just being smart and practical. After all, we've all got to strive to get ahead in life. And sometimes you just have to take matters into your own hands. Aren't we the masters of our lives? Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do to survive. Sometimes you have to fight to get what you want. Or he would have done the same to me. I was just taking care of number one. The world justifies this perspective. The world justifies it because it sees it as a self-preservation technique. But James calls it demonic. Demonic, hostile to God, unspiritual. True wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God, is gentle. It's merciful. It's sincere. It's willing to listen to others and be persuaded by them. It's peaceful. 
It's pure. It's holy. It brings peace. It overflows in peace. It seeks peace. The world's wisdom causes chaos and destruction. So James says, pull the weed out before it destroys every other plant in your soul. Pull it out now when it's young and when it's small. Don't let those roots get intertwined with everything else. Don't let the kudzu overwhelm and destroy the forest. Pull it out when it's little, because when it's full grown, it causes destruction and chaos. Most of us probably know that he's right. After all, we know that our self-centeredness and our bitterness disrupts our relationships. We know that it actually cuts and hurts and that it doesn't make life better. We know that our jealousy doesn't help. In other words, most of us know that James is probably right. But if you're like me, you want to say, James, I believe you. Fine, I believe, I believe. You've convinced me. But how? How do I pull that bitterness out? It's so hard to do the weeding. How do I get rid of the jealousy? James's answer to that question is very simply, God will give you grace for this. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4. Verse 6 of chapter 4, it says, but he gives more grace. I love that line. Not just grace, but even more. He gives more grace. He gives grace to those who come to him in humility seeking his help. In other words, show up before the Lord and say, I want to root the jealousy out of my life. I want to root the self-centeredness out. I need your grace to do so. He gives grace to submit ourselves to him. This is verse 7, to let God actually call the shots to be the master of our life. He gives grace for us to resist the devil, the devil who is forever trying to persuade us to live for ourselves as a self-centered person. This is what the devil would love. But the Lord gives grace to resist him and say, I won't live for myself. I'll live for others because God will take care of me. He gives grace to come close to God in prayer. This is verse 8. He gives grace to come close to God in worship and in the scriptures. He gives grace to draw near to God. He gives grace even to purify our hands from sin. He gives grace even to purify our hearts. That's a beautiful thought that God gives sufficient grace to become pure. He gives grace to become pure. He gives grace, and he promises to draw near to those who seek him. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He promises that those who step forward in faith and humility on this path will be met by God. That's a beautiful thought, where we say, I see the selfishness, and I want it weeded out of my heart. And so I step forward in faith and humility, saying, God, I need your grace to step forward on this path. And here's the promise. He will draw near to you. He reciprocates. He steps close to you. That those who step towards him in faith and humility are met by a God who gives grace and who loves. So James says to us, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Mourn your sin. Grieve it. Weep over the fact that you're self-centered. Mourn it. Don't kid around and pretend like it's no big deal. Lament it. Grieve it. Weep over it. Confess it to God. And then come and flop yourself down in front of the mercy of the Lord. Humble yourself before him. 
crash down on your face in front of him and say, only you can fix this. And the promise is if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will exalt you. This is the beautiful thing, is that all of this tactic of the world is an attempt at self-exaltation. I called it self-preservation before, but really what it is, is I want to be on top. It's self-exaltation. But it doesn't work. It just breaks and kills and destroys. But the promise, the promise is that if you humble yourself before the Lord, he would exalt you. He would exalt you. It's beautiful. The men have been studying Genesis in the early morning Bible study. And it's really striking the way that people at Babel seek to exalt themselves, to create a name for themselves, to raise up a tower to heaven. And when we seek to do it for ourselves, it gets crushed. And it crushes us in the process. But you turn around and a chapter later, God says to Abraham, I would exalt you. I would raise your name up. It's weird that we're constantly striving to do what God promises to do for us. And the way that we do it is destructive and ruins and hurts. And so James says, grieve over the ways that you've tried to promote yourself. Humble yourself before God and he will exalt you. It's a beautiful promise. It's a beautiful promise. So my encouragement today, if there are places in your heart where you see your own self-centeredness, if there are places in your heart where you see your own jealousy, your ambition, your desire to put yourself first, your unwillingness to let others go in front of you, if there are places where you see those things, pull the weeds out now when they're little. Confess them to God. When we turn to our confession, name them. Tell God, this is the place where I've sought to promote myself. Humble yourself before the Lord and then draw near to him. Draw near to him in the confession. Draw near to him in the worship. Draw near to him at this table and come before him in humility and say, Lord, would you fill me with your good plant? Draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. Amen.